Well, if you have your Bible this morning, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. We'll be considering verse 8 this morning. Matthew 5 and verse 8. And again, we're in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're in the Beatitudes, that section of blessings at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus is describing the blessed person. The one who has the blessing, the favor of God. These descriptions that Jesus gives in the Beatitudes, they're to characterize the Christian. In the past several weeks, we've seen that the blessed person is the one who is poor in spirit. Coming to God as a spiritual beggar, asking only for God's mercy and grace. They mourn, especially over their own sin. They're meek, humble before God and before others. The blessed person is the, is the one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Their ambition in life is to know God, to be close to God, to be pleasing to God. And they're merciful because they've been shown mercy. And this morning we come to verse 8, which says, Matthew 5 verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We'll consider these words of Jesus with three questions this morning. These will be our three points. First of all, point number one will be, why don't we see God? Why don't we see God? Point number two will be, why do we need to see God? Why do we need to see God? And then lastly, we'll consider what kind of person will see God? What kind of person will see God? So first of all, why don't we see God? Throughout Scripture, the desire of God's people is to see God. This isn't just to have curiosity satisfied, but it's because they love God. Because they love Him, they want to be with Him. They want to know Him better. They long to see Him. They want to dwell in the presence of God forever. The thing that the believer looks forward to is the day when faith will give way to sight. As the hymn goes, and Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. That's what the believer looks forward to, to see God. One who's in love isn't content to merely send letters or text messages to their lover. They want to be with that person. They want to see them face to face. Those who love God want to be with God and to see Him face to face. They're not content with the, the distance and, and the way that things are now. And there's a holy longing to be closer to God. The desire to see God is a good desire. But we should be thankful that God doesn't just appear before us in all of His glory. Just, just show up in front of our eyes and, 
and show himself to us as we are. Because if he did, we would drop dead on the spot. Moses, one of the holiest men to ever live, asked to see God. He said to God, please show me your glory. But when Moses asked God to see God's glory, he replied, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. If you know the story, God hides Moses in a hollow place in a rock, and he covers him while his glory passes by. And then he, he does allow Moses to see his back, as it were. He sees just a fraction of God's glory. But even Moses, one of the most righteous men to ever live, could not see God face to face in the fullness of his glory. Why is this? Why couldn't Moses see God in all his glory? Why, why can't we see God? Why can't we see him and live? Why would we die if we saw him? Well, it's because there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us. You see, God is perfect. He's good. He's holy. And sin, any impurity, any evil, is consumed before God like a, like a stack of hay that's been soaked in gasoline would be consumed before a wildfire. That's what would happen to us if we came before God as we are in our sin. His justice burns hot against evil. And as sinners, as all of us are, God's holiness would consume us and destroy us if we came into his presence. Our sin, it also makes us ashamed to go before God. We, we run and hide from the one that we've been unfaithful to because recognizing our, our own sin. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they walked in close companionship with God, their creator. But once they sinned, they instinctively hid from his presence. They were ashamed because they'd been unfaithful to God. They had returned evil for all God's kindness and generosity to them. And God cast them out of the Garden of Eden where they used to walk and talk together. They could no longer be in that place of close face-to-face -face interaction and, and fellowship with God because of their sin. Their sin had alienated them from God. If you go to the end of the Bible, you'll see that this, this is still true, even at the end of history. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, it says of heaven that nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. God is holy. And the book of Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Nothing impure, unholy, or sinful will be tolerated by God, who's, who is of purer eyes 
than to look on evil and cannot look at wrong. So we don't see God. And the reason, ultimately, is because of our sin. Sin is what separates us from our Maker. Okay, so this isn't an ideal situation. You know, things aren't as they should be. But are we really that bad off without seeing God? I mean, there are people all around us who seem to be getting along just fine, as they are. Do we really need to see God? Why do we need to see God anyways? This is point number two. Why do we need to see God? Well, unless we see Him, we'll never be truly satisfied. We'll miss our purpose, the purpose for which the human race was created from the beginning. If we read the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that it's God who defines us as human beings. We are made in His image. As our Creator, it's God who gives us purpose. He's the one who gives meaning to our existence. Human beings, we weren't made to be autonomous and independent and define ourselves and make our own meaning. God is the one who gives us meaning. And God made us to be in relationship with Him, to be in fellowship with Him, to speak to Him and to hear His voice speaking to us, to be close to God and to be in His presence and to enjoy that relationship. That's what we were made for as human beings. To see His glory, to gaze upon His face in awestruck wonder and worship, well, that's the pinnacle of human experience. That's what we were made for. To worship God, to know Him, to be with Him. Nothing beats that. There's no greater joy and satisfaction that a human can experience than to be known by our Maker, to have His blessing, to have His love. Seeing Him in all His glory, being face to face with God. Nothing in this world can fulfill us as, as this can. Nothing can give us lasting joy like this. No amount of money that we could make, no amount of, of praise that we could gain from other people, no shining legacy in the history books, no earthly pleasure from food or romance or human friendship or entertainment. It will all pass away and leave us feeling empty and disappointed because we were made for so much more than anything this earth can offer us. And so until we see God, until we come face to face with Him and gaze upon His glory and know Him and love Him, we'll never be truly satisfied. We'll never know true joy. We were made to know God. As Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Psalm 16 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. That your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
part of the horror of hell is that those who persist in rejecting God will finally be rejected finally and completely by God. They'll be cut off from the joy of His presence. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says that those who do not know God and obey the gospel, it says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. To see God means to know God. And to know God is to know eternal joy. That's why we need to see God. It's for our joy. It's for our satisfaction. And this brings us to our third point. We've considered why we don't see God. We've considered why we need to see God. And now, thirdly, let's consider what kind of, por- of person will see God. What kind of person will see God? Jesus tells us here in Matthew 5, 8, the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So what is the heart here? What's he talking about when he says pure in heart? What does that mean? Well, in Scripture, the heart is more than just the muscle that pumps your blood. It's symbolic, in Scripture, the heart is, it's symbolic for the inner person. It's the true you. Much like the physical heart is in the center of our body, and from it, you know, our, our blood flows, so the spiritual heart is the, it's in the center of our person. And from it, our thoughts, our desires, and our emotions flow. The heart is the center of your personality. It's the true you. What is it to be pure? What does that mean? To be pure is to be cleansed of all filth and impurity. Gold is pure when the other metals and elements are are separated out from it. The heart of a, of a man or woman is pure when it's unmixed, untainted in its devotion to God on the deepest level. Jesus, later in the Sermon on the Mount, talks about how it's impossible to serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He said, you cannot serve God and money. So unmixed devotion, God over money, God over everything else. The pure heart is the heart that it's free from hypocrisy and deceit. Psalm 24 talks about who will ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. It's telling us who it is that can approach and be in the presence of God. And the answer, it says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. The heart of this person is is pure. 
They don't love falsehood. They don't tolerate duplicity and deceit. They're honest. They're transparent. They don't wear different masks in different crowds. They're true and sincere. John Stott noted that some people, he said, they weave around themselves such a tissue of lies that they can no longer tell which part of them is real and which part of them is make-believe. The pure in heart are not hypocrites. You know, Jesus had strong words for the Pharisees because they worked so hard to live respectable lives in the community. But their inner selves, Jesus said, were full of impurity and and rottenness. He likened them to a cup or a dish that's clean on the outside. Think of maybe a, a Yeti coffee cup that's been sitting in a truck in the hot August sun. And you open the door of the truck and there's that cup there and it's shiny clean. It looks like it's brand new. Maybe it still has the sticker on it. But then you open it up and inside, just this stench hits you all of a sudden. And you, to your disgust, there's this weak old hot chocolate in there with moldy marshmallows. You know, on the outside, it looked so clean, but once you got to the inside, it was filthy and, and rotten. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. The kind of person who will see God, Jesus tells us, isn't just clean on the outside, but they're clean within. They're pure in heart. And the very core of their being is unmixed devotion to the true God. They love God from the heart. And they love what God loves. And their desire is to please Him. But this presents us with a problem. Because none of us are born this way. None of us are born with hearts that are completely devoted to God. We're not born loving Him with all of our heart and and loving those around us. Naturally, we're selfish. We have to be trained not to take things from others and not to live for ourselves. Listen to Jesus' analysis of the human heart. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark 7. Mark chapter 7. Mark comes right after Matthew. Look at Mark chapter 7 and verse 21. Listen to what Jesus says about the human heart. He said, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. 
Now, that's not some judgmental church person saying that. That's Jesus. And he's saying the very heart of, of a human being, that's where all this evil comes from. Basically saying you're, you're bad to the core, and that's the problem. To be defiled is to be unclean. It's the opposite of being pure. And Jesus taught us that, that we're sinfully defiled because our hearts are impure. It's not just that we slip up and make some mistakes here and there and do some bad things, but our very hearts are full of evil and sin and selfishness so that we cannot come before God as we are because we're not pure in heart as we are. Something has to happen to us at the very core of our being in order for us to have fellowship with God, in order for us to see Him. Notice how Jesus speaks of all these evil actions and desires that are, that are welling up from within the, the human person. In Mark 7, 21, he, he says, From within, out of the heart, come evil thoughts. And, and the list goes on and on. So picture the heart as a spring of water. We've got lots of springs here in the, the Ozarks. Maybe you've been hiking, you've just seen that, that water bubbling up out of the ground. But think of that spring now as the human heart. Only the clear liquid that's, that's dripping and, and pouring out of those cracks in the earth, in, in this picture, it's not pure water, but it's deadly poison. And that's what's coming out of the spring of the human heart. Now as we're looking at this poison spring, along comes Mr. Humanist. And he says, his analysis of the spring is, you know, this spring is really quite good. With just a little guidance, we can make it even better. And so Mr. Humanist goes back to his truck and he gets some pipes and, and some tools so he can better channel the liquid that's coming from this spring. A little education is needed to, to improve the human person. Our, our deepest problem isn't that we are evil to the core, but we just are a bit ignorant. We just need a little training and a little knowledge, a little more knowledge, and, and all will be well. Like Mr. Humanist, many have misdiagnosed the problem with humanity. The human problem isn't just that we need a little more education. It's not so superficial that it can be solved with merely a little guidance and, and redirecting. The very source is evil. The heart is bad. And while education may do many good things, it cannot reform the inner person. Receiving a PhD doesn't heal a heart of selfishness. It doesn't cure a sinful heart. So as, but as we observe Mr. Humanist working on, the, on channeling the, the poison that's coming out of the spring, along comes another person, another character. And her name is Mrs. Religion. And Mrs. Religion comes along and, and she rightly recognizes that this spring is putting out poison. And this is not a good situation. And so her solution is she reaches into her backpack and she pulls out her canteen 
and she begins filling it up with this lethal liquid. Once it gets full, she, she pours it out onto the forest floor and she puts it back under the, the dripping spring to fill it up again. And we ask her, uh, what are you doing? And she replies, I'm trying to get rid of the poison. The religions of this world, they usually recognize that, there's, that there is a moral problem with humanity. And so they, they call for love instead of hate. They call for generosity instead of greed. They call for loyalty instead of faithlessness. But the religions of this world, they have no power to get to the source and change the heart. No matter how many canteens Mrs. Religion fills up and pours out, the spring will continue to put out poison. No religion except the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to get to the source, to the spring itself, and make it new. Only the one who made the heart can restore it from its corruption. Only God himself can get to the source of the spring and replace the poison well of sin with the fresh water of holiness. No one was so pure as Jesus Christ. He being God the Son in human flesh, He was immaculately holy, without spot, without blemish, without any impurity of sin. God the Son was with God the Father from eternity past, before the world was made. And yet He who made the world, well, He condescended to take on a human body and walk our dusty streets. And he who made time entered into time and lived for 33 years on this earth. He who enjoyed the Father's presence and is loved eternally by God the Father, well, on the cross, he was forsaken. He was cast aside to perish. And his dying cry was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken on the cross under the wrath of God that was against our sin so that we would not have to be forsaken. He was alienated and, and forsaken so that we could be brought near and reconciled. We who are born impure. so that we could be saved. The purest heart that ever was was crushed and shattered in heartbreak under the weight of our sin and the pain of our condemnation. And He chose this. Jesus volunteered for this so that we could be saved. so that we can be restored and renewed and reconciled and have the life that we were meant to have and to know God, to have the joy that we were meant to have from the beginning, to see God's face. And Jesus rose from the dead 
our great hope who believe in him is that we will see him again. We will see him again. And that thought, it gives us hope amidst the valley of this life. We know that soon we'll be on the mountaintop and we'll see his glory with great joy. And all the pain and the shadows of that valley of life will be behind us. The pure in heart long for the appearing of Christ because then will be the beginning of eternal joy, the the fulfillment, the, the bringing to completion of eternal joy at Jesus' second coming. But those who are impure within, they'll see Christ quite differently when He returns. They won't see Him in His glory with joy and live. But at the sight of Him, they'll fear. It will be eternal death to them. They'll be struck with terror as they see the fire of of justice coming for them, for their sins. They'll cry out, as the book of Revelation says, for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and to crush them, saying, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? They didn't want to see Christ in the day of salvation, and when the day of judgment comes, they won't want to see him then, not on the day of his wrath, but there will be no escape. A few words of application, and then we're done. For the believer, you who have trusted in Christ for salvation, this passage should cause you to rejoice this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The scriptures speak of those who believe in the gospel, not as those who will be pure in heart, but as those who are pure in heart, those who are currently, presently cleansed. Not those who will be clean, but those who are clean already. Jesus said to his disciples, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, he said, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Run with that crowd, Timothy. Believers in 1 Peter 1.23 are called to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So purity of heart, this isn't something that we just look forward to off in the, in the wild blue yonder. It's something that the believer in Christ has now. When God saves us, he does a spiritual heart transplant and he removes that old self that loved evil and that hated God and just wanted to live for self. And he, he removes that heart and he gives us a new heart that genuinely loves God and is devoted to Him from the core of our being. Though we were born with sinful hearts, we're born again with new hearts that love God. And we begin to know God and to see God, in one sense, we begin to see Him from the moment we believe. 
We, we love to see God with the eye of faith as we read the Bible, as we look around at the world around us. We, we might see God in creation and in providence as we read about history. We might see God in history. But the real promise that Jesus is talking about here in this beatitude for the believer, the real blessing is future. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is something that ultimately we are looking forward to when we will see God as we have never seen him before. And we look forward to that day when our faith will be sight. And we'll see him in all of, our, all of his glory with every last stain of sin removed from our lives. But we still sin, don't we? So when God gives us this new heart, when we believe, does that mean that we just stop sinning? We never do anything wrong again? Are Christians perfect people that never struggle and never have a temptation, never fall into sin? Well, that's not the case. No. Think back to our illustration of the spring that was, that was putting out poison. And as Mr. Humanist and Mrs. Religion, their efforts are ultimately fruitless, but God comes and He supernaturally does the miracle of taking out that poison well, and he puts a pure spring in its place. And the pure water immediately starts flowing from that new source, and that source is pure. And the, the spring is pure instantly. Believers have pure hearts from the moment of regeneration. But as, as the spring water begins to flow, it, it begins dripping down from the side of the, the hill, from the rocks, and it begins washing out the poison that's still lingering in the streams and in the pools below. Slowly and surely, that poison starts to flow away as the pure water begins coursing through the channels. But that takes some time. That doesn't just happen in an, in an instant, that, that washing away of all the lingering poison that's below the, the spring. Though the water at the source is pure, if you go downstream, there's, there's still a bit of poison. And it's being washed away. But this is a process, and this is what we call sanctification. This is the, the Christian life, where we seek day by day to put to death our old habits and follow Jesus day by day. But already, we're, we're working with a pure heart. <clears throat> We've been forgiven by God from the guilt of our sin from the moment we first believe. And that punishment that we deserve, that has been completely taken away. We have a full pardon the moment we look to Jesus for sins past, present, and future. But then God the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and He begins cleansing us from the, the presence of that poison that still lingers in our, in our streams and pools of our life. The Christian laments with Paul in Romans 7. This is a text that, if you want to think more about, about this, read Romans 7. Paul says, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I, I hate. Whenever... I would do good, I find evil lurking close at hand. So we see Paul's heart there. He, he genuinely desires to please God. That's that pure heart. 
But he, he says in his members, like in his flesh, he still sees that there's evil lurking close at hand. But from the heart, there is a new power, a new purity. And we, we experience this, don't we, believers? You know, we might, somebody might be annoying us and getting on our nerves, and, and then we respond in a, with some unkind words. We get a little short with them. And then immediately we like, we're like, oh man, I should not have said that. And it, it grieves us that we didn't respond like we should have. And so we, we go to God and, and ask for His forgiveness. We confess our sin. And as we're kneeling to pray, there's a little voice in our heads that says, man, you really are humble right now, aren't you? And that's, that's the experience of the Christian. When we would do good, evil is lurking close at hand. But from the heart, we desire to love God. We desire to be pure. And that inner person is pure. But it takes time for that to work itself out into our lives. But our confidence as believers is that he that began a good work in us, he that put that new, pure heart within us, he will bring that work to completion at the day of Christ. And it's no longer you who are doing wrong, but your old self, your true self is, is now pure in heart, believer. But as Christians as we recognize that we still have, have things to work on in our lives. God calls us to, to fight against those old habits alongside other believers. We're to be actively involved in helping one another follow Jesus. And that's part of the purpose of local churches. It's where Christians can do life together, where we can fight our sin together, where we can read the scriptures together and pray for one another. And be honest with one another, confessing when we fall short. And have others pray for us when we're too weak to pray for ourselves. Your walk with God in this world, it's not just a private matter. The New Testament would teach you that it's a community matter. That's to be lived out with other believers in the local church. Because sin is our common enemy, this means we ought to be even grateful when others confront us and correct us when, when we've done something that is wrong. We don't always see the, the sins in our own lives. We have blind spots. And so I would encourage you, believer, with, with the thought in mind that your greatest enemy is, is not a bit of humiliation, but it's sin. When somebody comes to you and, and confronts you about something, Pray for grace to not get defensive right away. Listen to what they have to say. And tr just be silent if you can't say anything. But maybe if you can find the, the strength, thank them. And then go and consider what they've said. Reflect and, and examine yourself and pray that God would show you if you are in the wrong. If we're thinking rightly, having that bit of sin pointed out in our lives and being able to turn our attention to that and fight against it by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's worth the, the discomfort and the initial embarrassment of being corrected. We must, as believers, cooperate with the Holy Spirit as He cleanses us from our old ways. 
We should pray with other Christians. And don't be afraid to ask them to pray for you. A great place to do this is our our Wednesday evening prayer meetings on Zoom. We meet every Wednesday over Zoom at at 7.30 p.m. Seek accountability with other Christians in your fight against, against anger or lust or fear. Ask them to help you be accountable. Fill your mind and your heart with truth. Listen to more uh, solid Christian worship music. Come see me after the service if you want some suggestions. And fill your, your mind with truth. Think about the Word of God. Try to memorize some Scripture so that your minds can be renewed. And take time to reflect on, on how the sermon might apply to your life. Maybe talk with another Christian over lunch about how the message might apply to you. Purity of heart is something that we have as believers. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, let that purity wash through all the channels of your life and wash away the remaining corruption of sin. And do that with the hope that, and the confidence that one day every last stain of sin will be removed and will be given new resurrection bodies that are free from sin. And we will see God. But perhaps this morning you recognize that your heart isn't pure. And if this is you, come to the only one who can cleanse you from within. No amount of trying harder or or making resolutions or just sheer willpower will ultimately help. As Jesus said, you must be born again. Come to the cross And the blood of Jesus will wash away the guilt of your sin. God will pardon you freely. He'll give you that new heart that you can't give yourself. And it's not because you promised to try harder, but it's because Jesus was perfectly pure for you in your place. And God himself He'll do the miracle of giving you a pure heart and the promise of this beatitude will be yours. You will see God and you can have eternal joy and satisfaction forever with God. Why don't we see God? Why don't we see God? It's because our hearts are impure and evil and He is holy. Why do we need to see God? Because only by seeing and knowing Him will we be truly satisfied and have joy that cannot be taken away? What kind of person will see God? Only the pure in heart. They will be blessed, for they shall see God and be presented blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy forever. Let's go to our God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for not leaving us in our sin. Lord, we praise you for sending your Son to come and take our place on the cross. We thank you for giving us, who trust in you, your Holy Spirit, to not just just forgive us from the penalty of our sin, but to remove the very presence of sin from our lives. We thank you for that, God. Help us now to to live this out this week. To help one another follow you.
In Jesus' name, amen.